Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's your host, Krista Makes. Do you know that I write custom songs? That's right. I'd love to write you that special someone, coworker, friend, or foe their very own custom song. Makes a great gift for birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, and more. For more info, email me at kristamakes at gmail.com. Now let's get into this awesome episode. Hey, gang. We got a killer one lined up for you. Today's guest is my old friend, Jay Navarro, lead vocalist for the Detroit, Michigan punk rock band, The Suicide Machines. Together, we break down the inspiration, writing, recording, and release of the song, Break the Glass, taken from their 1996 debut album, Destruction by Definition. I recall hearing a rough first mix of the track all the way back in December of 1995, when Less Than Jake was touring through California as the machines were putting the finishing touches on the record, and how I was immediately blown away. Jay credits producer Julian Raymond with not only letting the band be exactly who they were, but also with how he would build the productions, namely in the choruses of the songs, to make them sound huge. I was also humbled and shared a laugh when Jay corrected me on a few misheard lyrics within Break the Glass, things I've been singing incorrectly for ages. Jay and I go way back and it was also super cool that he was able to fill in the blanks correctly with some of my faded memories from more than a quarter century ago, namely how the two of us first met. For all this and much more, don't touch that dial. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. I first heard of the Suicide Machines when you were still called Jack Kevorkian in the Suicide Machines. I got a hold of your Green World demo in 1994 uh, with such classics uh, as Snot Rag, Post Office Death Squad, and uh, the original version of a van song. And I, I was immediately attached to it, attracted to it. I, I love the sound. There's something about the Suicide Machines, what, what you guys brought to, to Punk and Ska. It was just a little bit dirtier. You had that Detroit thing in there, you know? Like, you can hear those in, those influences, that MC5 and just that that uh, that Motor City sound. Um, you know, you released those initial demos on Sluggo's old school records, your own label. And then in 1995, uh, Hollywood Records uh, came along and uh, and signed the band. And that's really the first time that I met you. And, and going back and researching here, Jay, uh, it, it, it lines up with the timeline because in December of 1995, 
we were out doing some, because we got signed in November 95 to Capitol. We were doing some photo shoots and, I don't know, demos and stuff out there. And you guys, I want to say it was with Buck09. You did a show while you were recording. And that lines up because the record was then mixed in January of 96 by Jerry Finn. And I remember that night, you took me out to the band van and you played me a cassette with a rough mix uh, of Break the Glass, which you told me the other day you have and you'd like to share with the listeners. So we're going we're gonna to play a snippet uh, of the Break the Glass rough mix that I heard all the way back in December of I think I met you before that, though. Did we meet before then? Yeah, man. I saw you guys play at the Falcon Club in Hamtramck. I think it was like your first tour. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, man. That's right. Yeah, dude. That's how I, how I met all you guys. Jessica was still in the band. and uh, Or wait, maybe she, was she there? Yeah, I think she was there. No, she was in the band. And you know what? And That makes sense because in, in December 95, we seemed like long lost friends. You were so eager. Uh, that makes sense that we that we did meet. Yep. That is crazy. I, I distinctly remember Break the Glass. I think that was the first song you played. I want to say maybe Islands and New Girl and No Face, but for sure it was Break the Glass. And that's why, for sentimental reasons, I, I picked this track, man. The other day when you went into it in Atlantic City, it just still gives me those goosebumps, man. There's something about this tune. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I don't really remember Atlantic City too well. <laughs> you don't? No. <laughs> it was a beer festival. You shouldn't. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you guys were having fun. So take us back now. Let's, let's rewind the clock 25 years. What do you remember about about writing and the inspiration behind Break the Glass? We were already kind of messing around with Break the Glass before we even were talking. Like we had already talked to Julian, but right around the bucko nine tour that we had done uh that summer we we were already starting to kind of like mess around with some things just after it you know what i mean and before it too and uh it, that riff the opening riff was kind of kicking around and that scale actually had been kicking around for a while but the the, the descending that would, yeah the that, guitar riff yeah like no one ever really knew what to do with it. so that scale was kind of around for a while and uh if you listen to the end of the the really awful demo that I sent you as well. <laughs> the original demo. Yeah. Which, which didn't you say that that was called something about your, my dog is dead or something. Well, originally I think that that or islands was called my dog is dead. I can't remember which one, <laughs> uh, which is ridiculous. But if you hear the end of the other one I sent you, which was like practice tapes, the end of it sings something has the hook like i you know some horrible high school hook like i saw you the other day or something like that was actually part of new girl the demo you sent man the chorus couldn't have been any different it was shockingly different Break the glass, break the glass, break the glass, break the glass. 
Mm, mm, mm. So yeah. So when you get when you hear the 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 demo or the practice of tape or whatever it was that I sent you, we always wanted to answer break the glass or something else, and we never could figure out what right. And so at the very end of that song, you would hear me just repeat it. He'd go, "I break the glass." He'd yell it. Dan would yell it, and I'd be like. I break the glass or something like that. And I was trying to make it melodic and he was yelling it. And everyone's like, God, why does something like I hated repeating it? And I think, you know, I think they liked the fact that I was singing the melodic part of it. I was singing the answer, but it was really dumb that it was repeating. It just didn't seem right. And I, it might've been, it was either Dan or Derek. It was just like, I break it down. And then it, you know, the melody kind of moved a little bit more past from what I was already singing it. And it's like, couldn't figure out forever like how to do the answer to it you know what i mean and then it just came up it might it might have been derek actually i break it down i can't remember but yeah we're trying we're trying to figure it out you know derek's in involvement in the band wasn't just drums you know he played keyboards and he did a lot of the backing vocals which oh, yeah. I, I never knew i never knew till later which is you know which, which was so cool for your band because you had a lot going on vocally too the record Destruction by Definition was released on May 21st of 1996. Um, the producer, who I believe was also your A&R person at uh, Hollywood Records, was Julian Raymond. And Julian, I love his productions. I've loved pretty much everything he's done. He's done uh, stuff for Fastball, Glenn Campbell, Hank Williams, and Cheap Trick. He did a Cheap Trick record in 2016, uh, Bang Zoom, uh, Crazy Hello, uh, that I think is one of the best records the band has ever put out. And... Uh, you know, you of course had Jerry Finn mix the record, and we were recording "Losing Streak" in May of '96 in Gainesville, Florida, when the, when your record was released. And I remember Vinny got a copy of it. We were playing in the studio, and I remember going straight to break the glass, and I just was like, I was envious. I don't want to say je- I wasn't jealous of my friends. I was envious because the record just "Losing Streak" didn't sound like this. <laughs> Jerry Finn, man, like the mix on this was just. It was it was raw. It was punk rock, but it sounded great. Yeah, it, it was definitely part of the mix for sure. But I also think that uh, Julian really brought building the choruses as a, as a big huge tool to those songs. Like he was adding extra guitar parts over extra guitar parts over extra guitar parts with just different tones on the choruses. So when they kicked in, they were gigantic, and they are. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how they. And then and Jerry Finn somehow made it not muddy considering there's so many guitar tracks on the choruses he somehow managed to make it not mud out you know right i mean here you were on on a a a disney label hollywood records and this was not a family fun record in that sense (laughs) this was a punk rock record man but it it sounded ballsy but it still it sounded pro you know it wasn't it wasn't uh it wasn't green world yeah dude we thought we were gonna get you know, kicked off the label quick enough anyways, or, or like no one was going to buy a record at all. You know what I mean? So we, whatever, it was a shot in the dark with that one when it comes to Disney. Right? Yeah. But, and I'm stoked that you gave Julian props because I, I was, you know, we're going to talk about the production. There's a lot going on here and just the tone, the tones are great. And uh, just the fact that, that Dan played a Rick and uh, Rickenbacker guitar. Uh, no one was playing Rickenbacker guitars in, in punk rock. My dad was a Rickenbacker player. And like, I grew up around, I got one sitting right here in my studio and 
I can hear that in the music and the fact that, you know, I'm from the Detroit area, you guys are, and then that it just, again, the whole sound, the, the whole thing, it just felt, uh, felt familiar to me. Uh, you guys, of course, done a, a bunch of warp tours. Our first Japan tour, Less Than Jake, was in September of 1998 uh, with you guys. You guys had already been over there. I remember the plane ride over, you telling me, oh yeah, man, there's going to be fans waiting for us at the airport. I'm like, what's this guy smoking? And we get to Narita Airport, and there's fans with gifts and flowers. I, I felt like we were Kiss of the Beatles, man. It was the coolest thing. Yeah, man. You know, you know, you know, you just made me think about something. Not to change subject to Japan, you guys let us jump on a show somewhere outside of L.A. during the recording of Destruction. We came and played on your guys' gear at like the Salamander Club or something bizarre. Then that—that's the night I'm talking about when you played the demos. Yeah, you guys came to see us play. Was. You were recording. That's what it was, dude. That's what it was. That's right. You guys got up and played a song or two. Yeah, man. I don't remember who else was playing with you guys. I want to say maybe the Hippos because they were doing the California shows on that run. Yeah, it might have been the Hippos, actually. Might have been the Hip. Might have. Oh my gosh, that's yeah, that's exactly what it was. That's awesome, awesome recall. Yeah, dude. I just I had I was, I was racking my brain about what you're talking about, and I think that's what it was, dude. I thought that we went. I'm like, why would they do a show while they're recording? No, you're right. You you were recording. You came to see us yeah, play. Yep. And 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 we we invited you up to to to, to do a song. And I remember you guys being like. Oh, we're in studio mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I met you guys in Hamtramck. I think it might have been the first time you played Michigan. You had that old beater red van, dude. I remember that thing. It had a ladder on the back, right? Yeah, it had a ladder on the back. It was always the blue and white van. It was mostly was it blue, blue and white. Is that uh, what it was? Sorry. Yeah, the, and and is there a place called the Mosquito Club back then? Yeah, Mosquito was after the Falcon. Yeah, yeah. That is that is crazy. Uh, and that was in 1995 when you jogged my memory. That, that is when, when we first met. I also want to talk real quick before we jump into the song. Phil Caffel, or Caffel, uh, he was also listed as a producer, but he's more of an end. Did he engineer the record? Yeah, it's Caffel. Filthy Phil. Phil Caffel. Yeah, filthy Phil. Filthy and Phil. His credits are everything from Blue October to Alice Cooper to Eddie Money and the Suicide Machines. I mean, this guy's been around. He's a really cool dude, man. Like, I can't even begin to tell you. I, I would go to the bar and hang out with him, man. He's, he's he's pretty rad. Like, I remember walking into some little British pub, and it was like no one was there, right? There's Slash with two chicks sitting with them drinking. He's like, hey, Slash, hey, Phil. I'm like, what the Dude, he's like, those dudes are homies. Oh, this is my friend Jay from the Suicide Machines. Oh, nice to meet you. I'm like, he was just a cool dude, man. Filthy Phil's cool. No matter what, to start the session, Julian would always bring him his favorite brand of super expensive scotch. And he'd bring it proper. He'd bring it with something like a drinking kit for him. You know what I mean? The glasses and shit. (laughs) It was pretty rad. That's how he started like all the sessions. That's what he would do for him. No matter what, that was like tradition between those two and real quick we're gonna jump in here i promise in a second to, to to the track what was this like you know you guys had 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 pretty much done demos to this point you get signed and you're like in a pro studio with like was it an exciting time were you nervous was it what was that like and dude you know so i know you keep mentioning green world but after green world we did the split with the rudiments yes skank for brains yeah we did it at the same studio right this is just like home studios you know what i mean and at that point, we were kind of starting to finally come into our own after Skank for Brains. Like I was like actually singing more, like singing, singing not yelling. And uh, I think we were kind of stumbling onto what we were going to finally sound like. We found our sound, I guess you could say, a little bit somewhere in that time between Skank for Brains and writing for Destruction. 
But, you know, I remember going out there and doing the, we got, we went out and do, we did four demos. And I remember walking into the studio and uh, it may have been Julian. I think it was Julian. He was just like, oh yeah, man, this is, this is the, the studio, like YouTube uh, rattle and hum. And I was like, I don't, you think I give a fuck about you too? Like, I fucking don't give a fuck about you two or any of shit. Like, so it was just kind of really weird, man, because you got to think about it, man. I was just, I wasn't young, but I was probably 21 or something or 22 or I don't know, 23. I don't even know how old I was. Wait, no, I had to be a little, yeah, like 22, 23. And I remember just being like, whatever, let's just get this fucking shit done. Like, you know, the vandals are playing on the street. I don't give a fuck. Like, it's not out. <laughs> I want to go see the vandals and get drunk, you know? And I don't know. And I remember Glenn Danzig was recording there at the same time as us. And uh, Derek stalked him into the bathroom. There's a little bathroom in the corner of AM Records. He's like, oh, this guy followed him in the bathroom. He sat down the toilet next to him. <laughs> it was bizarre. That's, that's awesome. Well, um, we'll get into the tune now. The, the track is three minutes and eight seconds. Um, there's a seven-second intro, and it's just... The word I, I used in my notes here to describe it, it's just chaotic from the start. Um, and it's just like this steady kick drum, and Derek's doing these crazy drum fills, power chords. Royce is all over the place with the bass. Uh, at eight seconds, the band kicks in, and at the 22nd uh, mark, there's that killer guitar run that you're talking about. It's just the epitome of, of what I would consider ska or a ska punk guitar run. Uh, it's awesome. It's panned off to the left speaker. And then while that riff's going on, the band drums uh, kick in. And at the 22 uh, second mark and the 24 second mark, I have to know what you're saying here. And I, I, I've over the years, I always wondered and I was listening in headphones. Uh, it almost sounds like you're saying punk rock. Watch out. <laughs> Break me myself. Break me myself. Yeah. <laughs> punk rock, watch out to break me myself. I wish it was punk rock, watch out. Shit. <laughs> well, it's so awesome that I honestly I was in the headphones for like about a half hour before I got you on tonight. I'm just like sitting there going, "What is he saying there?" And I, I'm still saying that's what it is. But okay, we're already at 28 seconds before the first verse kicks kicks in which is a pretty long time mm -hmm. but it, it it's not filler none of this it all is building the whole 28 seconds intro is is awesome and we get into the first verse and it breaks down and i have to ask you i know this record wasn't done on pro tools but do you remember if if derek tracked to a metronome no no there's no metronome on this at all i didn't think so but man and i'll never forget hearing this for the first time and it's still i love it where the verses and the pre-choruses sit tempo wise it jumps about four clicks when that chorus hits it just gets so fast and just the energy of it lifts and we'll get to the chorus in a second but I want you to set up these lyrics in the first verse. There's something about myself I can't control yet. It happens time and time again. I'm trying to be. Well, I smash it down. I break it down when I'm trying to be. Well, it's a shame. It's sad to say there's nothing to see there. Dan wrote those lyrics, man. And, and he, uh, 
he was having a hard time figuring out who he was because he was kind of a couple of years older than us. So it was like, mm -hmm. you know, okay, so like now I'm stuck in this crazy world of like, you know, serious relationships at that point. Cause you're getting a couple of years, you know, when you're getting in your like mid twenties, it's pretty pathetic to say that I'm saying these serious relationships, but he's getting serious relationships. He was getting into situations like, well, I, I work in a factory and it's a good job. Do I quit it and like do the band thing? I mean, he was going through a lot of stuff at the time, you know, and this is a lot about his mental state at the time, you know? Now, the demo that you uh, had shared with us, I guess it was just a garage recording or practice based recording. Was that arrangement, was that exactly what it was until you brought it to Julian and that's when it started to, to morph? No, I think the only morphing that Julian did of that was he took the I saw you just the other day part out at the end of the song. He just like that's there's no need for that. Like I remember him taking that out. It's almost like he maybe helped arrange the actual arrangement a little bit at that point we did have the chorus the chorus kind of came from a like i had said i was singing i was trying to me melodic the, the the answer to the call at the end and, and it was funny because he, he i think he got the idea because i used to have a class that i'd have to go to and it was because you know as a troubled kid he's a psychologist the teacher and he would take the class out to railroad tracks and we'd bring a ton of bottles and we just talk about shit that was driving us nuts and we'd smash fucking bottles on the, on the train tracks. Now it's kind of like where he got the idea for the hook of the chorus and then he applied it to what he was going through. And then, so when we brought it to Julian, he was like, this is good. This, this is a single We're just kind of like, what? All right. Like, but yeah, I don't think he had a ton of ton to do with that one besides maybe just arranging it, making sure it was a little bit more mechanically sound, you know what I mean? From part to part. Uh, he did a lot of work on other songs, but this one, this one wasn't, I don't remember him doing too much to it. I've always said a true band is a sum of its parts. Here Dan came in with a lyric or an idea, a shell of a song, but it had to meld with what you were going through growing up and the bottles on the train tracks for the song to truly, truly come together. That's, that's freaking awesome, man. Well, that's how some of those songs work. Sometimes Dan would write a whole song or, or like a song like SOS, like, Derek and I kind of bo both wrote a little bit of together, like lyrically or, you know, you know what I mean? So there's always like, like you said, some old parts, like a lot of times the machines and I'm sure, you know, with lesson Jake, the, the songs are always never going to be just your song, man. Too many people add their, add the ideas to it to make it what it becomes, man. Sure. And, you know, I, I think as a punk band, we would be stagnant if it was like, Oh, here's my song beginning to end. That's it. For sure. Well, the other thing is, do you remember, I mean, Royce never, I don't think, got the credit as a bass player. Dude was a ripper. Derek's a ripper. I mean, you got, you guys are all immensely talented. But, you know, when you got into to doing the song, was, was Dan ever saying, hey, it should be this feel with the drums? Or did you guys kind of all make up your parts? I mean, was Derek kind of get the feel? Was, was those bass lines are ripping? Was that all Royce that was writing that stuff? Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Royce wrote all that on bass i don't i don't recall anyone else writing the bass lines to that at all oh, it's, it's it for a 21 year old it's incredible it is incredible yeah i don't remember right i don't remember anyone else messing with the bass lines it's hard to remember that long ago you know what i mean sure but sure hey everybody don't you dare go anywhere there's lots more chris to make the podcast after these messages from our sponsors Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. 
Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! And now, back to the show. But for the most part, you guys were writing writing your parts together as a band. Yeah, the machines, it was never like, Dan was like, well, here's this, you know, play something to it. And that's what Derek would play, you know what I mean? Like, there was no, I want you to do this, you know what I mean? Or, yeah, that's not how it was back then. And it, and it wasn't really like that, even for like battle hymns, even, you know? Yeah, I I, I, f- I figured as much, but I but but I but I had to ask uh, getting into the pre-chorus here totally changes feels. It's got that hi-hat ska thing that Derek's doing and, it, and it's awesome. And this is when the first backing vocals come in. Uh, they're in unison, but there's also sporadic harmonies happening. And not many bands can get away with that and make it sound good. recall were you doing that prior or was that something that julian w- w- was talking about let's keep some stuff in unison let's keep some stuff ha- with harmonies you know what man i'm starting to think maybe julian did have more to do with break the glass than i remember because i think he kind of brought in that pre-course lift up idea i think we had something there and I, I don't recall what exactly how he was involved with the pre-course but i think that was definitely something you remember him working on with us you know what I mean? I, I don't remember. I don't even remember who came up with the lyrics. I don't remember. I just remember there was like this weird, we're going to lift this part up. You know what I'm saying? And going into the chorus, mm-hmm. almost like build it up. Maybe maybe Julian had something to do with that that part. Right. And, you know, I didn't uh, put it on a click or anything when I was listening to this or, or a tempo map, but it sounds like it's still kind of in the same groove, this part, as the verse. But it feels like it's ramping up just because of that feel, that hi-hat thing, that ska beat that Derek's doing. And uh, I'm going to... Uh, say the lyrics now and you can set them up. Well, I don't want to talk about it. You know, I can't live without it. It's a stupid fucking shame. And every time I think about it, I think that I'm so lame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're, we, thought, we thought we were losers, bro. <laughs> all of us did. I think we all did. I think, I think you're speaking for every one of us right there with that, with that line. On the last line here, on, on the downbeats, it's cha, 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 cha. Is that what you're saying there? Chaz or what? I don't know. Just yelling. <laughs> just yelling? Yeah. I know that you're good at that. I call it I call it scatting, kind of when you're just kind of scatting vocals and you're making, you know, making little noises and Michael Jackson did his little noise thing and and everyone you, know, you you do that live. You'll put little things in here and there. Again, was that something that that remember Julian saying, "We need some chaz or some stuff behind it or uh, I probably I probably just did it. Probably just did yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Some of that stuff I probably just did in the studio too. You know what I mean? Like I didn't really have any, I'm probably, I probably heard it and was like, man, I need something, you know what I mean? And just did it. And, you know, Julian B. She was like, Oh, that's great. Just keep that. Dude, that's good. <laughs> Don't even do it again. No, it, 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 it's awesome, man. It, it, it gives this, this, different uh, uh touch there just it just lifts that part uh 45 seconds 
uh, we're we're in the song in, in the chorus, and it's I break the glass, I break it down. 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 And that's when the big stereo guitars come in with the vocal harmonies there. And I believe I hear Derek in there. Yep. Yep, definitely. Yeah. And and it's awesome. And again, I wrote the the tempo speeds up here. It's just so energetic. the very end of the chorus you give this spirited go you know and you're back into the reintro there's no guitar run here but the band stops before verse two and it's kind of like a one two three four but i almost think like maybe this was maybe Derek uh, on a drum mic but it sounds like a snotty like blah yeah 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 in the background that's Derek. that's Derek. that's 100 Derek. Maybe maybe Royce sang some shouts on the record, but I don't think Royce sang anything besides maybe a couple of yelling parts. And it was all, you know, Dan, me, and Derek singing. So that yelling yeah. is, and I guarantee you that it was off one of his drum mics. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, he would spaz out all the time on drums, dude, like, and just yell shit. And and I think that that's exactly what that is, is, you, you know, you caught him yelling it on the drum mic, so. that I, That's one of the things that, Really, when I go back and listen to this record, and to this day, from the minute New Girl starts, it just it takes me back to that time period. I always talk about it on the show. It, it, it's the memories that you have attached to songs, why they hit you so hard. But this record breathes, man. It breathes realness. That yelling on the drums, that just those little things. You know, a lot of people leave that stuff out of records. Oh, that's that's not pro, or that doesn't sound. You know, and 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 those little things are 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 the sum of all its parts. It's what makes this record so unique. I think. Yeah, you know what's funny is I remember thinking I couldn't believe that these Hollywood record major label people when they were doing it and Jerry Finnelli's guys like there's feedback in that song, like where the guitar stops. Yes, and, and oh, yeah. they didn't take it out. They just like they left it. Right, that could have that could have been muted. That, that could have been muted on on uh, Derek's thing when he's counting it off. Yeah. I mean, there's certain things here that, that that could have been taken out and and they were left. Yeah, and and that's why that's why I think that uh, w- taking those out, it would have taken some of that uh, what I'm calling that realness and and that where the record breathes. I don't know, just it's it's, it's unique and it's cool. We get into verse number two. What's your story? What's your sign? No, I can't agree. Well, you know you'll never get it in this life for free. You can blow it down and break the glass, break my heart in two, but you better be prepared. It's such a shock. There's nothing there. And I notice on this line in particular, the two and and there, there's no rhyme scheme at all going on. Do you recall again, Julian or anybody making suggestions of, hey, this lyric or, or were the lyrics scrutinized at all? Or was this what the lyrics were? Yeah, no, that was it, man. It was just like, you, you didn't need to rhyme. I don't think it needs to rhyme, but that that's a lot of times with producers, they'll, they'll get in there and under the microscope and want to change things. And, and again, that this is, it doesn't need to change. It's punk rock. It sounds great. Yeah, man. No, the, you know, Julian didn't really... I would say Julian was a great vocal coach, but he didn't really like 
try try to make us change lyrics. You know, the only real fight in the studio over any lyrics was trying to change, you know, the old word in the van song because I didn't want to sing a word Dan wanted me to sing because he wrote that song, you know, and that was the only confrontation that had or any sort of thought of anyone saying, hey, maybe this is the one, you know, this lyric should be changed was only that one song. So Julie never stepped in and said anything about any of the lyrics. He coached me into singing a lot better for starters. And he really helped us build these like phenomenally gigantic courses, you know, especially with the guitars. He did, man. He did. That's what I, that's one thing about you guys that I always just the choruses were always gigantic and they sounded awesome. How much older, uh, how many years does Julian have on you guys? God, man, he's uh, he's got what 12, dude, he's almost 15 years older than me, man. Okay, so so then the reason I say that, you know. I've all I, I've said this before on the show, and and we've had Rob Cavallo was amazing in this aspect. Producers are kind of like uh, poor man psychologists, psychiatrists. They have to come in and analyze a band. I mean, you guys were especially you, man. There was no taming Jay Navarro in 1996. You were a hard ass punk rocker. This guy had to come in. He's 15 years older. Who's the old dude here? He had to somehow harness this energy, and it sounds like he knew when to back off with you guys. He wasn't gonna get it too much into the lyrics. Let them be who they are, and that's important with a band's identity. Identity. You can't change a band if you do, then, then that's not who they are. Yeah. Plus, you'd be like a couple 40s deep into some, you know, some malt liquor. And it was like, well, all right, whatever, <laughs> dude. Like, you just kind of let it go, you know? I I wouldn't have wanted to produce you in 96. No way. Yeah. <laughs> dude, I couldn't even like stay focused on anything back then. It was just kind of like, that's why you asked if it was such a trip to like go into a studio like that. And yeah, I mean, I guess it was kind of weird, right? But at the same time, I was just kind of like, so not even thinking about it or like even giving a fuck, like it didn't really dawn on me how crazy it was. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, yeah, all right, cool. Let's fucking record this shit and get, you know, get done or whatever. Like, yeah, let's go party. Yeah, exactly, man. Like I don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? So the, the, you know, in hindsight, it's like, holy shit, man, that was like $250,000 endeavor. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, a lot of bands would, you know, kill the get some weird shot like that and i'm just kind of like drunk and like yeah dude like oh, what do you want me to do like <laughs> just, oh oh okay my turn to sing cool whatever yeah well there's a again there, there's there's a vibe in this record and, and all that comes across oh well, you know we get into that uh, pre-chorus here Fill me up because I'm empty. Why couldn't I just have kept me? You know, it really fucking sucks. And when I try to talk about it, the words seem to get stuck. And on this one, the backing vocals are there. Uh, and the, the, the four yells, uh, I'm calling them the cha-cha, cha-chas, or at the last line. And then we get into chorus two. And it's I break the glass, I break it down. It's four times. And at the end of this one, it's that killer trademark, you scream down. There's one thing I, I've, I've, of my friends that can scream like that, and you're one of them. I have, and I could never scream like that and make it sound believable. <laughs> I can scream, but I can't give it one of those, man. And that down, that down uh, there is, is is really spirited. Again, before Pro Tools, do you remember, was was Julian doing a lot of punching in on tape, meaning like, okay, we're coming up to the line, we're going to punch in, or did he did he cut tape with the vocals and put things in? Or? I remember them cutting tape, you know what I mean? I don't know what, I remember them cutting, 
and I'm, I'm sure we'll probably get to this because I think it, dude, I haven't listened to the record. I can't remember things, man. Like I probably should have listened to the song, right? <laughs> no, nope, that, that's why I'm, I'm here. Doesn't it? This has like an outro, right? It does have an outro. Uh, okay. So I remember recording the outro separate and then them getting out a blade, dude, and cutting the tape. I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, yeah, they cut the tape, man. Like they're cutting things absolutely so for for the listeners out there what jay's referring to you know now it's no different than you know you copying pasting a, a letter to somebody uh, on your computer okay you do that in pro tools which is a recording program there's many there's logic there's many recording programs you can do this with well back then we didn't have the technology you'd have this two inch thick tape that you'd be recording onto okay analog tape and what jay's referring to you'd actually go in with a razor blade here's the part that we're going to cut and we're going to take this vocal and put it somewhere else on the tape. And they would actually use just regular old scotch tape. Or in the instance of the the end outro, which we're going to get here to in a minute, uh, this whole outro was done on a separate tape that they then took and scotch taped it to the rest of the, the two-minute track. Yeah, man. It was <laughs> pure artistry. I'd never seen it done before. Because I think they definitely cut a few other things, too. And I remember the first time they were doing it, I was just like, I'd never even heard of it. That's how, like, you know, not how clueless we were you know we didn't even know they did stuff like that and i remember just being like what are you doing dude you're gonna fuck it up there's like but dude they're masters you know what i mean like oh those those old cats that could cut tape were were insane i mean it, like you said it, it was an art form and it, and it truly was uh after that killer scream we're at the one minute and 53 second mark in the song this is the bridge it goes till two minutes and 13 seconds the progression changes uh the the bass runs here uh tip of the hat to royce the bass runs are incredible the feel here the energy it's it's just it, it's so so badass And at the two minutes and 10 second mark, right before we get out of the bridge, there's these four unison hits by the band. Jing, 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 before chorus three. And it's just those hits are just so powerful. It's the only time that they happen like that in the song. We get into chorus three. And it's, I break the glass, I break it down. And it happens four times. Something I didn't mention, and it's in, in all three choruses, every time you say, I break it down, there's a down that happens. Yeah. And is that you singing that? It sounds like you. I don't know, man. I have to listen to it again. I, had, I, did, I okay. did definitely scream <laughs> over my own vocals in some spots. You know what I mean? So I'm on there at okay. moments, which is totally corny, right? But like... No, not at all. And it, I, man, it just... it. Again, it adds to the to the energy, you know, and, and speaking of energy, I know they were an influence on you, but I hadn't heard something come off tape with the energy since Op Ivy's energy as this record. You know, not not just saying that, man, just friend to friend. When I heard Destruction, I was like, Damn. wow, this is really next level in terms of in terms of energy and, and that raw uh, realness. And after those hits, again, the chorus happens. And then this is where Jay talked about the outro. So the song's really two minutes and 30 seconds. The last 38 seconds are this ska outro.
Lisa Oscott just breaks down and it's kind of it kind of feels like the the weather changes a breath of fresh air just boom you're in this next part and uh you got some uh pick it up pick it up panned off to the left speakers the old scott scott pick it up remember who did that it sounds like dan to me i think that's derek is that derek pretty sure the alkaline trio vampire himself yelling pick it up (laughs) (laughs) who knew who knew uh at the two minutes and 46 second mark there's this guitar feedback that you're talking about yeah. that they left in it's just nasty sounding but again it, it it sounds real it was real it's what happened during the recording uh the guitar feedback comes in uh and it's like in the right speaker and then the band fully comes back in and at the two minutes and 58 second mark almost the end of the song Derek goes to the bell on the ride cymbal And I remember the first time hearing this, and I still get the same feeling. Damn, if it doesn't sound right there, it sounds like 70s police, like Stuart Copeland. Oh, yeah. It it's just got, yeah. And he he just emulated, mm-hmm. not not that it was a ripoff. I don't mean like that, oh, but it, it just was. It felt like. <laughs> He'd probably tell you that, too. It absolutely was. I love it. And and the song is fading out, and it just, and it, and it, and it fades out. And not many songs with this intensity and that are this badass. Uh, can have a fade out in punk rock and be be perfect. Accidental, yeah, purely accidental. Like I said, that part it wasn't even really part of the song. I think it was like that's something we had been playing and had nothing else to do with it. We just couldn't really do anything with it, but it was the same key. So the song uh, was 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 the third track on the record. And do you recall if you were playing this song to a live audience before the album came out, or did you not play it live until the record was released? You know, I think there is footage of us playing at yeah there, there might be man i think there's footage of us playing at fireside bowl before it was really developed i think there is i'd have to go look it up but i i feel like there it's either to that it was it was maybe it was new girl one of those two songs okay. were were on this weird tape of us playing at the fireside bowl and i think this was during the buck 09 tour uh in 95 uh-huh. uh we we ended up playing you know, at the fireside. And I remember uh, seeing footage of it. For those listeners that don't know, the Fireside Bowl was a legendary uh, venue in Chicago. What was it? 76 in Fullerton? Yep. I think Slapstick had a song. And uh, it was a bowling alley that they held punk shows. And man, want to say maybe we played with the machines there. But yeah, you did. I know that, yeah, yeah. I know that Chicago was was always a home away from home for you guys. Your shows there were, were, were nuts as, as less than Jake's were. Do you recall the record coming out and what what the reaction was to this song versus the other tracks do you do you remember the audience reaction to break the glass i definitely remember it was a pretty much a standout song every night you know what i mean it's great it's crazy i mean you, you you know from back then like we were already playing to a few hundred people at a show you know what i mean well oh, we yeah. were assigned to a major but when that record came out and it was like there's such a drastic change in just how many people were singing along it just it it seemed to sink its teeth into people way more than any other songs that, that we had done up to that time you know what i mean like yeah when you hear a whole venue singing that song you know how it goes and they're singing a chorus you're just like you hear it over the music and just like Holy oh yeah fucking crap why do these people why are they singing our song like it's crazy it's a, di- it's a there's a big difference man like you know we went from yeah. a few hundred people a night 
you know, to a thousand people a night, you know, and when you, when you go from that big of a jump from like two or 300 people a night or whatever it is, so over a thousand people, it, the, the volume of people when they're singing along is insane. Right. So yeah, I definitely remember people singing and I was like, damn, people really like this fucking song. Okay. That's awesome. Well, you know, I, I have to say, it, and it's a little weird and it, it's friend to friend and I, I know I can say this to you and, and, and not have it be weird in, in that sense, but you know, I, it, it, there's something special about this record. I know you know that, but I've been a fan of your whole career. I've always loved the machines. Every the self-titled record. There's some songs on there I thought should have been massive. I just love it. I love how you guys evolved. Steal this record, the Killing Blow, one of my favorite songs. Imagine some gasoline. If you ever get the feeling of dread, I mean, I could go on. Your your records always have something special special on them. But this album, uh, if I ever get asked, I don't think I have. Uh, uh, anytime recently, but if I ever get asked a, a top 10 ska punk, this is definitely on it. Amazing record. Uh, it's no surprise the reaction that Break the Glass got because it was the first track that you played me. I'll never forget it. I, I still get goosebumps listening to the song and it's been an absolute blast being able to, to uh, no pun intended, break it down with you. Oh, thank you, Lion. I appreciate it, man. Respect. It means a lot coming from you, man. You know, you know that. Thank you, man. And and uh, I appreciate you saying it back. It, it wasn't necessary, but man, this, uh, uh, love the band. And before we, uh, we hop off here, what would you like to leave the listeners with? What, what do you guys got coming up? Of course, uh, the, la- the latest record you have came out, uh, last year, uh, Revolution Spring, which Roger from Less Than Jake, uh, produced with you guys up in Michigan. So, uh, what's going on? Nah, dude, he crushed it. It was fun. I love it. It's probably my top three favorite records I've ever done. So I didn't know it was going to turn out so good. <laughs> That's awesome. So it turned out good. I'm happy with it. Uh, you know, just, you know, allegedly COVID is over. So back to playing shows. So hopefully playing with you guys and, you know, punk rock bowling and all that kind of stuff. But we're uh, already recording another record right now. So uh, we're doing a split 12 inch with Coquettish from Japan. Oh, cool. Okay. It's going to come out on uh, Bad Times Records, so which you just did a split with Kill Lincoln. We we did, we did. Which is rad, dude. Which is super rad. Cool split. Yeah, right on, man. Well, uh, dude, get some sleep, man. Thanks for thanks for hanging on the pod. Bye, dude. Hey, everybody, don't touch that dial. There's plenty more Chris to make a podcast after a few words from our sponsors. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to make a podcast, all you have to do is submit your song via MP3 only and your bio to band you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Low Standards. Uh, they're based out of Fargo, North Dakota and Minneapolis, Minnesota. The band consists of Bobby Peterson on lead vocals and keyboard, Cody Hansen on lead guitar, 
Pike Taylor on rhythm guitar, Luke Waitala on bass guitar, and Scott Schneider on the drums. You can find their music on Spotify. Here's a snippet of their song, Self Surgery. The Rap with Chris and Chris. I definitely agree with you that Destruction by Definition is a top 10 ska punk album of all time. I would go as far as to say it's top five, man. (laughs) It is such a good album. And you touched on so many reasons why, but probably the top reason why is the energy in that album. There's so much energy in that album. And yeah, they're all sick players. The songs are great, but it just, it feels like you're at a show and watching a live band when you listen to that album. Yeah, you know, Jay is so humble. He would never, I, you know, I couldn't really say what I wanted to say to him. He just, he, he, he wouldn't wouldn't probably want to hear it but he doesn't realize how talented that band is (laughs) i i would watch them and just be like my god and live they were just it was insane because they would play everything like four beats faster i don't know how Derek and how the band was was keeping up uh, royce with those bass lines royce never gets mentioned in the punk circles of of bassists and he should uh oh dude he's sick he's unreal he's just for whatever reason he just Royce wasn't ever that like look at me the spotlight guy he was always just kind of kind of did his thing but man uh, uh definitely a, a secret weapon in that band and and that record uh yeah top, definitely top five I said top 10 but top five that there, there's something about that album that just uh, uh oozes energy Julian Raymond you brought him up and I'm glad you talked about him because a great producer or mixer knows when to leave in those elements that provide that energy. You you brought up the fact that, yeah, they could have cut out the extraneous vocals the and the feedback yeah. and, yeah, all that kind of stuff, but all those elements are in here and it sounds it sounds incredible like this this album still like hits hard too at the same time yeah it would have been it would have been sterile and you know julian's the one that signed them at hollywood and and i i, I talked about it i talked to, uh, i asked jay for, not, for no other reason i didn't want to know how old the guy was it, it's here nor there but just how much older was he when you recorded this he was like 15 years older you know he was the elder statesman and, and he had to figure out how he was going to harness this crazy unbridled energy from these essentially kids at that point you know uh and and how to keep the whole thing on the tracks (laughs) because uh there's moments on that record where it feels like it's going to go off the rails and the song's just going to disintegrate there's just uh it's awesome we could talk about Derek for an entire episode i'm sure just his drumming on this album alone i think is something that every punk rock drummer that i know can talk about and rave about everybody everybody in this band brought something to this band jay especially as the singer just someone that could sing but also had those like guttural screams oh, like i said the the one scream it's like I, I can scream but i can't come with conviction like that and make it sound believable i just i i'm he just has that has that enemy possesses that it's just so it's just so cool something i didn't mention in the episode i meant to bring it up with jay we shared a, a bus in 1999 with suicide machines in europe and in my book uh blast from the past as you know chris there's a couple uh, entries in, in in the book with some pictures from that tour all of us standing outside the tour bus and whatnot but uh that was awesome and and, and by then, they had their second drummer, Ryan Vandenberg, who's also a ripper. Hi, Ryan, if you're listening. Love you, buddy. But um, 
I had think I believe it was that tour I was talking to to Jay or, or maybe Dan about uh destruction and, and I I think it was then that I realized that that how much Derek did sing on the record. He has an amazing voice. I never even knew that before today. I loved when you asked Jay what he says at the beginning of the song, what he's screaming. <laughs> I never knew. Uh I love that you thought it was punk rock. <laughs> Watch out. Uh, I always thought <laughs> I always thought he said break glass. I thought he was break glass. But what I can't remember. I have to go back and listen to what he said he actually says there. But uh yeah, that was hey, that may have been one of those things that no one ever knew until today. I, I don't know, but I sure didn't know. Well, I didn't know, and I've heard the song hundreds, if not thousands of times. I've I've heard this this track and, and I was in headphones earlier, just really zoning in, rewinding that part over and over, and I still thought it said punk rock, watch out. It doesn't even matter what he says. It's all about just the pure energy of it you know it is and when when i uh, and i told them in the episode when i saw them play this song i i, I watched them side stage at atlantic city there's probably videos up at, uh, on youtube uh this was a couple weeks ago they were just this song in particular i just watched it it takes me back right back to 96 you know late 95 when he played uh played the the rough mix uh, from me that uh, we played during the episode it's just it I love the track from the minute I heard it. Hey, that's how I feel about No Face. No Face was the first song I heard from this album. And that's still to this day. That is just my jam. The bass on that song. Just everything about that song is amazing, too. Uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on from this episode is that Jay talked about how, you know, they were young, 21, 22 years old, whatever they were. And he talked about how it didn't dawn on him how crazy it was that they were signed to Hollywood Records. And they were, you know, he said in hindsight, it was a $150,000 endeavor. You know, this punk rock band from Detroit didn't care that... You two had recorded at this studio. What do they care? They're a punk rock band from Detroit. Yeah, well, and and it, again, it says something about what Julian uh, brought to the to the table for this band because I wouldn't. I told Jay in the episode I wouldn't want to produce him back then. He was menacing, man. <laughs> there was very few guys I was intimidated by, and man, he just he used to control that stage. He was menacing, and they were ragtag punk rockers partying their head off. He said it. I, I would. I, I knew the Vandals were playing later. I didn't care about the U two studio. I wanted to go party with the Vandals, dude. And I also you've talked about it in episodes before, but I. I can't imagine actually cutting physical tape. Like, I don't even understand how that's possible. How do you like Matt? How do you make the perfect cut to like perfectly Uh, 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 wear the? I'll tell you how one of our producers, Steve Gravack, who did borders and boundaries, he had a ruler and he was measuring the hits out exactly. He'd cut the tape exactly. Okay, and then there we uh, in the control room glass, the window, there was probably five, six hundred cuts of tape. That's where he'd stick them up there. And then he'd meticulously put them back together so that the the drums were exactly in time. That was what you would do in Pro Tools now with a couple clicks of the mouse. You had to do it manually. It was incredible. That's totally insane. (laughs) Yeah. And the whole (laughs) outro of this song was on a different take that had to splice with the first half of the song. That's awesome. Wow. Wow. And uh, what my my 
Last memory of being blown away by the suicide machines was actually when the last time Punchline was on tour with Less Than Jake, we knew Roger had produced it and we'd been like, dude, you got to let us hear that. You got to let us hear that. We like kept asking him. And then finally it was uh, one day, I think maybe, maybe it was on Easter Sunday. He said, all right, you guys want to come on the bus? I'll, I'll play it for you. And I remember just all of us sitting there with like our, our jaws dropping like, damn, this sounds so good. This band just, they're, they're just always amazing. And and I agree with you that they they have had a lot of um, evolution in their sound. Like Battle Hymns was a lot different than Destruction by Definition. Then the album after that was a lot different. They had some like kind of like straightforward like rock songs. Yeah, and like some that, ballads. That so- yeah. 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 But always an awesome band. And speaking of awesome bands and artists, Chris, we will continue to get awesome bands and artists here on the podcast. If uh, if you would just go out and give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, it's simple, it's easy, and uh, we'd appreciate it. It's really easy. You just click the fifth star on Apple Podcasts. I know not everyone listens on Apple Podcasts, but even if that's not where you listen, go leave us a review. And if you have 30 seconds or a minute, you can type like, man, I really like this podcast. You have great artists and you guys are really cool or something along those lines. And it just helps other people find out about our podcast, which in turn will help us get more and more awesome guests. And that's what you all want. That's all what you obviously want, correct? That's right. Every every little bit helps. We appreciate all the support. If you haven't already, please join the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. It's quick. It's easy. It's free to join. We have a lot of fun in there. If you haven't already followed me on Instagram, please do that as well. I'm at less than Chris D. And I want to thank this week's guest, Jay Navarro from the Suicide Machines, my old pal. It was an awesome episode, and we'll see you next week. Well, I don't know. Everyone has a podcast now. Well, not really. What is true is that, according to Nielsen statistics, 55% of the U.S. population, that's over 155 million people, have listened to a podcast, and 24% of the population, that's 68 million people, listen to podcasts weekly. And these numbers continue to trend upward. What's also true is that over 75% of all podcasts fade away after the first few episodes. It could be for a variety of reasons, lack of strong concept, poor production value, people not realizing how much time needs to be dedicated to it, or simply just not knowing how to get the word out about podcasts. That's where WeKnowPodcasting.com comes in. At WeKnowPodcasting.com, we have a combined 25 years of podcast experience, and we can help you achieve your podcasting goals. Whether you need help starting a new podcast or want to take your currently active podcast to the next level, we got you. From consultations to concept development, from theme music to editing, promotion, animation, graphics, you name it, and we're here to help. Don't become another failed podcast statistic. Let us guide you and help your show become a success. Check out the website at weknowpodcasting.com. And even if you're on the fence, don't hesitate to reach out. We're friendly guys, we're passionate about pods, and we're here to help. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that make titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.